This is Paul Bettner, creator of New Super Lucky's Tale, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 46 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 23rd, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Luis Antonio to the show to talk about his upcoming indie title, 12 Minutes. We'll discuss reactions from DC Fandom's gaming announcements and offer impressions on Battletoads and New Super Lucky's Tale. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I do each and every week, I want to offer a quick word of thanks to two people who made my gaming life better in this past week. Mike Ors and Chris Johnston both took my friend Kevin Butler and I through the, one of the climactic story missions of Sea of Thieves and sherpaed us along the way with their, their vast experience in the game. And it's always nice when you are a casual fan of something, but you're getting into it, and more experienced players guide you through, allowing you to discover things on your own, but also making sure you don't flounder along the way. And that's exactly what Mike and Chris did for us, and we really appreciated that. We had a blast on that tall tale, uh, and I really appreciate it. So thank you guys. In a year of digital events and gaming showcases for new technology and new games alike, it was DC's fandom that stood out as the best produced and perhaps the most enjoyable of all those showcases, really proving that uh, the gaming industry could take a few notes from what it was that DC put together. DC's fandom showcased two games that are extremely relevant to gamers with Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League. Let's take a look first at Gotham Knights, which is developed by WB Montreal and is coming to PlayStations 4, 5, and the Xbox family of devices in 2021. Looking decidedly next-gen in the footage that they showed, the gameplay footage, I should mention. Not pre-rendered CGI, but gameplay footage. This game looked more next-gen than anything I have seen to date, and I've got to tell you, I'm pretty excited. The premise, of course, is the Bat family taking on Batman's rogues because Batman is seemingly dead. Now, the gameplay that was showcased and the information we have says that you will be playing as Nightwing, Robin, Batgirl, and Red Hood in Arkham-style combat that is solo or up to two players via co-op online. And you're going to be moving around uh, Gotham City, very similar to what you do in Arkham, essentially tackling Batman's foes with Batman gone and dealing with a world of Batman being dead. In addition to the standard rogues that you would expect Batman to have in his world, the Court of Owls seems to be the primary antagonist here, and the Bat family is kind of wrestling with the idea emotionally, physically, and what their roles are going to be in the future of Gotham City going forward. Gotta tell you guys, this game looked fantastic. The character models looked wonderful, the color and the lighting was just beyond next-gen for what we saw, and it got me very excited. Of course, WB Montreal made Arkham Origins. This game has a lot of spiritual aspects of the Arkham series, though it is not set in the Arkhamverse. 
kind of the dead giveaway in that was that you were playing as Batgirl, and she, of course, in Arkham Knight was was wheelchair bound. So it was really neat to see this this game take place. Just just really beautiful next gen powerhouse of a game. Uh, a lot of character abilities specific to each character, as you would imagine, Red Hood with his guns. Batgirl was using a staff, it seemed, but not akin to uh, what Nightwing would use. Then we saw Robin. Uh, we saw Red Robin using various stealth abilities, even going invisible seemingly at one point, uh, which kind of suggests and connects a bit to, to Batman Beyond in some ways. But I was really thrilled with what we saw from Gotham Knights, and I'm so excited to see uh, when this game truly hits in 2021. I think you can expect Holiday. I think that's kind of the mindshare thought on that one. But I am so excited to play this. Anything that is that is spiritually succeeding the Arkhamverse, I tend to get very excited about, uh, with a bit of a caveat, which you'll find out about in a bit. Taking a look at this game, playing it solo or co-op, is an interesting take on it. If you're familiar with Arkham Knight and, and some of the Arkham games, there were moments where you can team up with, with AI partners, and it certainly lent itself to co-op abilities and tackling big groups of baddies, uh, you know, as Batman teaming up with Nightwing or, or Batgirl teaming up with Robin. You saw that in a lot of the Arkham Knight gameplay, and it was really cool and really fun. The idea that I can jump in there with a buddy via online play is super exciting to me. I'm very curious to see if this is going to be a cross-play title. Will we be able to play, you know, with Xbox and PlayStation back and forth so my buddies can get trophies? Will I get achievements? Uh, I think it's very, very well understood even without it being said, and perhaps I'm way off, but I would think that if you're on an Xbox One and you're playing with somebody on an Xbox Series X, uh, you're able to, to co-op there and play there, but I do not know for sure, and of course we're waiting more confirmation of various features as they come through. It's just that the smart delivery tech seems to suggest that. But I'm all in on Gotham Knights. The game just looks incredible. It looked like it would be a lot of fun. There's a spirit to it that looks to be evolved from the Arkhamverse. And WB Montreal, I thought, made a great game in Arkham Origins. So it's exciting to see what it is they're going to put forth for Batman fans here. Taking a very different tone than that, I thought, was what was showcased by Rocksteady in an all-CGI trailer of Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Rocksteady showcased Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, and Killer Shark kind of haphazardly moving around a very detailed metropolis that was under siege from Brainiac. It was wild to see kind of the polar differences because you would look at Gotham Knights gameplay and expect that to be Rocksteady's Arkhamverse, and it's not. It's its its own DC universe. Whereas Rocksteady's game, and this was interesting to me, looks to be taking on the play style of Avengers, the Avengers game we're getting right now, but with the Suicide Squad, of course. And that is set in the Arkhamverse. And that really was just odd to me because the gameplay looks so far departed, uh, at least in its implication of the CGI trailer. We know very little about the Suicide Squad game. Uh, there, there was no gameplay shown. It's just a matter of what it suggests based on this trailer uh, going forward. And I, I have very mixed feelings about it, of course. Rocksteady never has made a bad game, and there's no reason to doubt them whatsoever. The premise of Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League seems very cool, taking down baddies. But the presence of Brainiac and them encountering an enraged Superman that was a little bit too beefed up for my personal tastes seemed uh, a little... A bit of a turnoff for me, whereas others seemed very thrilled by it. Some people were, were really excited, some not. It's it, 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 I got the impression that Gotham Knights got a universal welcome. Everyone was really into the idea. At first, they were a little put off by No Batman. But come on, 
how can you make a Batman game where you don't somehow play as Batman in challenge rooms or with DLC or a costume skin? I'm sure that that'll somehow make its way in. But Suicide Squad seemed a bit more divided. I think people were a little less thrilled on the idea or perhaps not sold on the idea just yet. And there could be a couple factors here. One of the things that we should note is that Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is set for 2022, not 2021. So it's fairly well off. That suggests a couple things to me. First, gameplay not yet ready. Of course, we know they rebooted and essentially WB Montreal and uh, Rocksteady switched on their projects. They, they restarted both from, from scratch and one was making a Batman game and the other Suicide Squad game and they essentially switched. I think this means that Gotham Knights is likely the holiday title for 2021 for DC and Suicide Squad is, is 2022 for that reason. I, I just have some very strange vibes about Suicide Squad, whereas I was really high on the idea before. And I'm very curious to hear what other people have in that. And, you know, Todd Oxtra did write in and ask me which one I was more excited to see, which comic book game would I most like to see. I, I really, Gotham Knights is, is the one that I'm stoked for. I think the more we see about Gotham Knights, the premise there, if they create uh, Gotham Knights to be a platform very similar to the, the amount of content we got with Arkham Knight, and you can expand upon that, and it's a platform for kind of two years of Batman fan service, I'm in on that. I love that idea. Um, give me lots of DLC within Gotham Knights with that evolved gameplay, and I, I am so set. The idea that I can play with a buddy if I want to or stay solo, even better. Because sometimes, guys, I just don't want to play with anybody else. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Like, this new Avengers game, ooh, I got I have, I have thoughts on that. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but yeah, Todd, I'm I'm in on Gotham Knights far more than Suicide Squad. But the comic book game I would, I would most like to see, I really did want to see a Superman game. I really did want to see somebody tackle that problem. Because I don't think the character is boring. I don't think there are uh, there is no way to make that game good. I think it takes a very special developer to create that game and make that character interesting. You know, I think about Captain America, and for a long time, Captain America was a really boring character. Always stand for justice. I'm good, bright and happy. Very similar to Superman. And then the MCU created a character that was interesting and worthwhile and exciting, and it takes the right developer to make that. So I did want to see a Superman character. Uh, or a game where you play as Superman. But, you know, in, in lieu of that, there are plenty of games where you take the role of Superman or you can create a character in DC Universe Online, which is still a great game. I mean, it's 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 an MMO, but, I mean, the flight mechanics are fun, the powers are cool. No reason to think that that can't be something there. But, yeah, I, I was really encouraged by both games in the end. Like, in the big picture, WB Montreal delivered the goods. Suicide Squad gives us a lot of hope for, for what it can be. Uh, it's really it's really weird that it's set in the Arkhamverse, but you know so it goes. I I do want to take this t moment without transitioning to a new topic to acknowledge the Avengers game. Now this seems a bit departed, but stick with me here. I played part of the demo, and after playing part of the demo, I canceled my pre-order of the deluxe edition, and I plan on buying the standard edition. I'm unsure if I'm getting a code for review. I don't care. I will snag the standard edition out of morbid curiosity because it's a superhero game and I love comic books and all that other jazz. But what I played in that demo was not that great. I did not enjoy myself all that much. I think the character facial models, particularly facial hair on Thor, looked atrocious. Really didn't like that at all. And the gameplay felt very rigid and chopped together. I have heard that this is largely the bridge demo and then when it opens up it's a bit different. 
I felt that knowing I would play the game regardless because it's comic booky and I'm I'm interested, I decided not to waste my time any further on the demo because I wasn't having fun. And then I would tackle it later on more sincerely for review purposes or discussion purposes. And my thought is if I get 15 hours of solo gameplay in Avengers, awesome. If I get 15 hours of co-op gameplay with my buddies, cool, great. I'm on board with that. But it doesn't seem to be that Crystal Dynamics was up to the challenge based on the demo. And there's more to come. There's a lot of ways to examine that. And in lieu of playing the demo, I think the Spider-Man DLC stuff is a little bit less impactful. And that was the idea. I think I mentioned that a few episodes ago. If we still cared about Avengers when Spider-Man came out, that's a big win for Avengers. Good on them. So I'm, I'm still curious, but I wasn't thrilled. And I think for that reason, I'm a little sour on the idea of Suicide Squad because I... I I didn't like what I was seeing with Avengers, and that's not a fair parallel to make, but I do think it's an understandable one given the co-op approach to tackling enemies that are are more powerful or or powerful in general. We'll see. The problem with Avengers is one we all saw coming. You know, I've played God of War. I know what that, that hammer, that axe felt like and how good it felt. Thor doesn't do it quite as well. I've played Anthem. I know what it's like to fly around as Iron Man. Iron Man didn't feel like that. And so, you know... Master of None would seem to be the the mantra for the Avengers game. But, again, open mind going in. Plan on buying the standard edition. I'm just not going to spend 80 on the digital deluxe. If I get a review code, of course I will tell you guys and let you know when that time comes. I'm, I'm just curious to see where it all lands out. But I love comic book games. I love nerdy, nerdy comic book games at that. And uh, very interested to see what we've got going forward there. Now, we talked about last week Remedy's announcement that if you buy the Ultimate Edition of Control, you will get the upgrade for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. You will have that that version there. And if you have the standard game on your PlayStation 4 or your Xbox One, even with the DLC, it'll be backward compatible and playable on your PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series S or X, but you won't get the upgrade of the version. And that felt really slimy. Remedy came out with a statement in this past week from PR. I I would have to think it's from 505 at this point. It just feels like it's from 505, their publisher. Uh, But it it doubled down on the idea that they think their decision is correct. And it just felt gross. It felt gross next to major companies advocating for, you know, smart delivery, for free upgrades for next gen. Codemasters came out saying that they they would upgrade people for free on Dirt 5. Of course, we know Cyberpunk's doing that as well. You know, it's... It's, it's odd because, real talk, remasters and up versions are pretty common to purchase when you accelerate into a next-gen. I think we see that fairly often. The first two years of a, a new console, you tend to get a, a lot of ports up, and that's, that's great. You want that. If you loved Control and you want to play it on your next-gen, that's awesome. However, next to the messaging of smart delivery and backward compatibility along with forward compatibility, it just... It feels weird, and the fact that they doubled down on there being the right decision really turned me off, and that's the opposite of what you want from Remedy right now, which made a great game in Control. You know, processing issues aside, that game was really fun. That was up for Game of the Year for me, and I think I gave it Game of the Year for for me, for XEP at the time. I still go back and forth on Jedi Fallen Order, but I loved Control. I thought it was great, and we should be celebrating Control because of the Alan Wake expansion, and I'm just not. I'm just down on that. And and I wonder where the big mix-up is happening and what the decision was. You'd have to think they'd make more money if they just let you spend five bucks on the extra DLC you don't have or whatever and up-res that way. 
it just feels weird. And, and now I think they've essentially turned me off to the Alan Wake expansions. And as with all things, I, I reserve the right to change my mind. And I probably at some point will check that out. But day one, nah, not there for it. I didn't like a, a couple of the decisions made by the publishing firm. Uh, for control and and it just doesn't feel right so i think i'm gonna hold off for now and i want to know where you guys stand on this are you doubling down angry with 505 or remedy on this one are you fine with it because we do see a lot of remasters where do you guys stand on that one would you please tweet me at insipid ghost or email me insipid ghost at gmail.com let me know where you stand on this one because i can't tell if i'm the outlier with a, a minority of people frustrated by this that are being very vocal or if you know, everybody really does care. So let me know. Now, interestingly, in this past week, two games came out that I think really did a lot of good for the gaming community overall. I think it's an understatement to say that 2020 has been difficult. Obviously, it's been difficult on so many fronts, civil, political, emotional, physical, pandemic, and otherwise. It's been a tough year, and gaming has offered a lot of respite for all of us, and some of us really dove into kind of very serious games with Ghost of Tsushima and The Last of Us 2. Uh, I know I played a lot of State of Decay, which I really thought was kind of funny at first, but Having a bit of happy and a bit of positivity can be very helpful, and gaming does a lot of that. A lot of people dove themselves into Mario uh, and into Zelda and things that are bright and colorful. I mean, Fall Guys is doing great over on PlayStation, and Xbox got, I think, their good bit of dose of happiness this past week in two games, the first of which was long-awaited in Battletoads. Of course, it's an old Rare property, and it was outsourced to Delala Studios. I played it at E3 and met AJ Scranton, one of the developers there at E3. We had a good talk last year. Um, it is really a great thing to see Battletoads is finally out, and those fans are able to check it out. It's on Game Pass. Of course, it's also 20 bucks if you don't have or don't want to use Game Pass. And I see a lot of really positive fan reception to this game. Lots of clips were filling up my timeline of people having a blast and sharing, you know, their couch co-op experiences, really enjoying the, the colors, the Saturday morning cartoon aesthetic, and it was just flooded with people offering praise for the game and having a good time. Critically, however, it was a very mixed reception, and that was the most interesting part to me, was the, the big conversation of this year between critic reception and user reception and how people will review bomb and, and ruin the, the vibe of some games but also you know there's a big difference between what an objective reviewer has to say about a game and whether or not you just have fun with the game and those two things can sometimes be at odds sometimes not always and it was interesting to watch the critical reception of the game lots of people were rating the game fives so lots of people rating the games eights and everywhere in between, which is, you know, two other numbers. <laughs> so five, six, seven, and eights, it was it was neat to see kind of that that bevy of options there. And some people were really high, some people not. And real talk, after playing a good amount of the game, uh, I'm almost done with Act 2. Uh, I think that all of those reviews are accurate. The five, I totally get why people are coming down on a five on that one. The eight, I totally get that as well. There's a lot of fun to be had in... Delala's creation of Battletoads here. 
reinventing the aesthetic. The art style is really cool. There's some really unique approaches to art that is just special. It's not Cuphead. It's not Ninja Turtles. It's something unique unto itself, and that's awesome. The Battletoads play fantastically. They're very responsive. They have lots of abilities. There's a combo system that's there if you want it. I play on easy because I have a good old time, you know, being tough and cool in video games, but there's a challenge there if people want to bump it up to, to Battletoad difficulty and rock on. There's couch co-op, which is great. You can play there. A big miss, I think, to not have online co-op. And I, I would have to think Dalala is very aware of that, as is uh, Microsoft, Xbox, and Rare. It, it, it's just a big miss not to have that, and I hope it gets patched in later, particularly given that Streets of Rage 4 has online co-op, and I would imagine that that is something they are working on. Uh, but it's a great beat-em-up for that respect. There's also a lot of mini-games and a lot of humor in the game that I think are very hit and miss. Some of the humor had me spit-take, laugh-out-loud funny. Some of it was just lame and didn't land with me at all. I mean, humor is always subjective, but I think it really spoke to the vision that they had of trying to capture the Battletoads spirit, and maybe that's not for me every time, but I did like a lot of what I played. I was just not really enthralled with other parts. The mini-games, some people really loved those mini-games for breaking up the monotony of a beat-em-up. I was kind of the opposite of that. I wasn't really down with that. Uh, I, I, the game's fun, and if you've got Game Pass, that's where you should play it. If it's if it's something you're not quite sure about, do you want to spend 20 bucks? No, you should wait for a sale on that one. You should wait for a sale. But fill an afternoon of Game Pass goodness, jump in from time to time and just run through the game and beat it, Absolutely. That's what you want from a game like this. I think it's a fantastic thing for you to try. And if you play through Act 1, you unlock some stuff in Sea of Thieves if you're into that. And I really appreciate when games do that within the Xbox Game Studio family. You know, play this thing in Gears, you get this thing in Forza, or this thing in State of Decay, this thing in that. I really want to see more of that. Sea of Thieves did, does that very well. State of Decay did that very well. Forza didn't do it enough. There needs to be more kind of crossover, play this, play that, and, and you see it. Love playing as the Spartans and Gears. I mean, just more of that would be cool. But yeah, play through Act 1 of Battletoads and you get a gorgeous ship in Sea of Thieves if that's your jam. I would say for any and everyone, this is the perfect game to try on Game Pass. If it's not for you, comfortably move on. Don't worry about it ever again. Game's fine. Game's fun. Game's okay. Wherever you land on that, awesome. Hello, this is Mike Biffle, uh, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. The other game that arrived day and date into Game Pass despite being available on multiple platforms was New Super Lucky's Tale. Now obviously if you're an XEP listener you know that we have the CEO of Playful Studios and creator of New Super Lucky's Tale and Super Lucky's Tale, Paul Bettner. He was on a previous show and I will tell you right now I have several codes to give away provided by Playful. And if you write into me, one of the first people to write into me via Twitter or email, and you tell me what episode Paul Bettner was on for our interview back in May, then you can win a copy of Xbox One's new Super Lucky's Tale, and I will send that to you via DM or email, however you contact me. The first or second person will absolutely get a a game for free on that one, so check that out. Uh, But let's talk about the game itself. Day and date, into Game Pass, a remake of 2017's Super Lucky's Tale, in many ways addressing the issues that people had with that, which largely stemmed from the game being a VR title at one point for Oculus. New Super Lucky's Tale has been on a journey, and it is a brilliantly positive, fun platformer that you all should absolutely check out. If you have any affinity for 3D Mario, for 2D Mario, 
for bright, colorful mascot platformers, you need to check out New Super Lucky's Tale. It's there in Game Pass, and it is a blast. A lot of the camera issues that came from the VR have been cleaned up. You can now control your camera. There are performance issues that make this game a joy to play on an Xbox One X or an Xbox One S. It is absolutely a blast. Uh, this feels like and looks like an entirely different game in action. The colorful aesthetic is still there. The happiness is still there. The joy is still there. And it's a great lighthearted piece to take your mind off of anything that, that might be stressing you out in 2020, which Lord knows there's there's quite a bit of it for sure. But it's just lighthearted goodness for a kid or an adult that platforming fans will absolutely love. Play it. Easy achievements. Platforming is fun. Puzzles are neat. Uh, there's smiles the whole way on this one, and I really recommend you guys check it out. And the fact that it arrived day and date into Game Pass really surprised me, and I could not have been more pleased by that. It is, it's just a game that we need right now, and so I strongly recommend you take a look at that. I loved Super Lucky's Tale. I 1K'd that bad boy over on Xbox One. It took a little bit of adjustment with the camera back then, and for them to have refined it in the way they have, uh, I, I think this is, is one to check out for sure, particularly in in an August-September window. Rock this thing. Enjoy it. It was a a frustration point for me that Super Lucky's Tale was overlooked at a time when Mario Odyssey came out, a lot, and it came out with the Xbox One X, so people were expecting something different than it was. And once people played it, I think they really enjoyed it, and this is the way to check out Lucky. This is how you should be playing uh, Lucky, and hopefully, I would hope, given the the arrival of the Game Pass approach, and given the fact that people seem very high on it on my timeline, this is a game that Microsoft will continue to take note of and support themselves. Because I mean, I'm, I'm telling you guys, I keep saying this, it's a game we need. It's just happy. It's just fun. It's not going to be as intense as The Last of Us or Ghost. It's not going to be something that carries the weight of a generation like Halo Infinite. You don't need to have uh, some of the more intense battles that some of our other games have. It's just a fun video game. And sometimes that's the best way to play. We had one one additional piece of listener mail that I pulled out from this week's questions uh, before we get to our interview with Luis Antonio, developer for 12 Minutes, which I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, Famous Seamus wrote in and he said, So we still don't know how much the Series X or PlayStation 5 will cost. When do you think we'll find out? And who do you think will reveal the price first? Oh man, Famous Seamus, I thought we would have found out by now, man. I'm really disappointed that we haven't, given the financial planning. There's a lot of things that go into that uh, decision to showcase the price first and whatnot, I think it will be Xbox, given their more aggressive approach in the past few months. I do think that aggressive approach has paid off in many ways. It's also got them punched in the mouth once or twice uh, due to bad messaging in the Halo Infinite announcement. There is a lot of weight by when these consoles are expected. We know Microsoft is launching Series X and presumably Series S in November. November is also an election month in the United States. There's a lot of a lot of emotional turmoil that's going to go into that. The job market plays a big factor as well, along with those prices. Uh, they may be waiting on each other to blink. They might already know, have it set in stone, and they're not sure when and how to display and show, showcase that. I really don't know, Famous Seamus. I would have thought we'd found out by now. Now I can say that oh, end of August, early September. <laughs> but uh, it, the date keeps moving because they, they don't show it to us. I think they are afforded... Very little flexibility about when now. I'm getting very frustrated. I think a lot of people are very frustrated. The same the same light says that the number of SKUs that each company is releasing offers them flexibility that may not have had otherwise. 
if you've got a $500 device in the Series X, but you're having a, a $250 or $300 device in the Series S, well, that's pretty cool. Like, all right, so maybe you don't need to stress the price as much for, for when you announce it. Um, I, I really think 500 is the max you'll see on either system. Of course, PlayStation has two SKUs with the digital and physical as well. I do not think either launch lineup demands that you get a new system right away. I will tell you that comfortably right now. There is no one game that stands out so far above the rest that you absolutely must get next gen when launch happens. I'm jumping in on the Series X, you know, regardless of price at this point, just just for coverage purposes, and I'm interested in being in that the best of the best Xbox ecosystem for uh, two, two to three to five years to come. That's that's where I stand personally on that. But I don't think you even need a Series X if you've got a good PC. If you're interested in casually playing via xCloud, if you're interested on, on playing just on your Xbox One right now, there's no one game that needs you to upgrade. And I don't think Miles Morales does that for PlayStation 5 either right now. Uh, the game's going to be great. It's always going to be there, though. It's single player, and it, it's solo, and I can't imagine it's so must-play, so departed from Spider-Man PS4 that you have to have it right away. Uh, I think you can comfortably tell yourself, if you want it, you can get it when you need to, uh, and you don't have to have it, you know, in the moment in the zeitgeist because of the transition for generations here. That's, I mean, come on, man. It's just a weird year. It's just a weird year. What are you gonna do? Anywho, guys, I will tell you, I'm very excited for a couple things in the gaming verse. Love the DC announcements. Love that XCloud is arriving in a few weeks. Cannot wait for my Razer Kishi controller to get here so I can be downstairs playing Battletoads or Sea of Thieves or Streets of Rage or whatever I feel like playing and just chilling with my wife downstairs away from my actual Xbox. Very excited for that. Um, I, I'm really interested to see how Avengers plays out once the game itself really launches. we got Star Wars Squ Squadrons coming up soon. I'm stoked for that. Always new hardware to look forward to. That's really cool. There's a lot to celebrate right now. And I continue to have a blast playing Sea of Thieves. I mean, that game snuck up on me out of nowhere. I knew I liked Sea of Thieves. I knew I did with the anniversary update, but I'm just playing all this endgame content. The other day, we teamed up with multiple boats. We, we, like, we, we allied with people, which is very uncommon seemingly in Sea of Thieves. We, we allied with people. We had an armada going around the ocean at one point. We were tackling raid bosses together. I mean, there are some stories in games that are incredible, and you can, you can point to a lot of the narratives third-person narrative games. God of War stands out as one of the best stories ever made. Sea of Thieves isn't that. It's one where you make your own story, and I have so many cool moments and like multi-hour experiences that are their own tales in and of themselves, and it's kind of a cool thing to be into that for sure. For now, though, we are going to end the episode, and I will send you over to an interview with 12 Minutes developer and creator Luis Antonio. You might remember 12 Minutes, of course, from the 2019 E3 demo of course we saw it again in 2020 at their uh, equivalent of e3 12 minutes a really neat indie game luis has a lot of insight on that one it was interesting to hear him googling stuff while we had the interview he's like oh where did i come up with that idea and he would google his own stuff which i thought was really neat uh to hear i hope you guys enjoy the interview if you missed it if you missed it Last week, we had Ryan McCaffrey from IGN on to talk about his near 20 years in the gaming industry. And in the week prior, Adam Brennecke, the game director of Grounded, was on as well. If you're able, I would love for you guys to check those out. If you're able and willing, I would love it if you guys would throw a review over on iTunes. It, it means the world when you guys do that. Uh, it's really cool to see a solo show growing. We're approaching episode 52, and that's going to be the just about year mark, save for one episode, and I'm Really hopeful that uh, 
that we can continue getting reviews and the numbers continue to rise because I'm privileged and honored to have this show with you guys. That's it for me. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care, guys. Okay, we are very fortunate now to welcome Luis Antonio, creator of the up upcoming title 12 Minutes for Windows and Xbox One. Luis, welcome to the show. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me. Pretty excited. I am so excited to talk to you. I had the opportunity to play 12 Minutes back in 2019 at E3. I am very excited to see how the game has come along and what it is you're hoping to, to do with it. Before we get too far into 12 Minutes specifically, though, you have background uh, working in game development over at Rockstar and Ubisoft. Is that correct? It is, yeah. yeah. I've been, a, I've been an artist most of my life. Um, yeah, I was for three and a half years at Rockstar in London, then Ubisoft in Canada, in, in Quebec. As mm -hmm. an art director, and then I worked on The Witness with Jonathan Blow, um, and then this project. And wow, so that, those are very different levels of game development to be it something as massive as Rockstar, then to move over with Ubisoft, and then of course going down to becoming going an indie. independent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How do those experiences differ now that you're an independent developer? Um, I think the biggest change that, that everyone talks about is just the. Um, the amount of room to explore ideas, right? On, on the bigger the team, the bigger the budget, the less room there is to um, to experiment because there's this this weight of having to this pressure to to make something that will be profitable. Especially like Ubisoft being a, they were publishers before they were they had this all these development studios. Um, so yeah, and going indie, there's no. Um, I mean, until they run out of money, I guess. But there's this there's this uh, all the things you do are towards the design of your project, which um, which is beautiful. That's the reason I left, actually. Like there were way too many projects I was working on that I kept getting completely changed because someone um, in marketing or whatever saw another title that was doing this thing that looks like it's profitable. So let's change what you're trying to do in order to make or, or deals. You know, like oh, this console is coming and. If we make this game for this console that you weren't planning to, uh, we might have this deal and stuff like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's it. That's interesting. So now you you've been working as an independent developer since what year? Uh, I don't remember. You mean? Uh, let me see on my on my website. Uh, you mean? I mean, I became independent working on on the witness with uh, with Jonathan. That was in two thousand and twelve. Mm-hmm. And then we released The Witness in 2016, and that's when I went solo for um, 12 minutes. And let's talk. All right, so let's get let's get to the meat of this then. 12 minutes, elevator pitch. What is the game, and <laughs> and how did you talk about it once you started creating it? Man, you remind me of you three when I was uh, doing the pitch for everyone. Um, <laughs> so 12 minutes is an interactive thriller about a man trapped in a time loop. Um, mm -hmm. You come home from work, you're having um, an evening with your wife, then this guy shows up, he attacks you, you pass out, and you go back to the start of the evening. And you have to use the knowledge of what you know is going to happen to try to change the outcome and, and break the loop. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I'm sorry, keep going. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. That, that's the, well, the elevator pitch. Well, that interactive loop, that is a complex idea because what you've done is create a butterfly effect and you learn as you go. Tell me about that process. Um, on the game itself or on the development side of it? What? Well, let's, let's start with the development side then. If you're creating so many decisions for players to learn about this man who's coming in to, to attack his, uh, your wife... How do you, as on the developer side, create all those little storyline impacts uh, for the player? Um, so that started very simple, right? I, I, I sat down and I was like, Let's, what, what could be fun in a time loop? And my, mm -hmm. my first thought was like, okay, if you have to, once you do a loop, you know something and then you use that knowledge to move forward. And then I just tried to play with ideas of, of what that means. Um, early on, it was like those you know, first ideas of, uh, oh, you have a, there's a code, you learn the code, and the next loop, you can put the code immediately and you open this door and, and now you're, you're, you're like, you, you advance the level. But I, I always felt all these ideas of, of like the classical key code or green card to open green door um, mm -hmm. or knowing where something is, right? Oh, someone hit something. Now you know where it's hidden. Now you can find it. It was never, it was just scratching the surface of, of the, the accumulation of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So then I tried to see, okay, what about um, the, way you, the way you interpret knowledge, right? So it's more vague. And then suddenly I went into the, the, the side of relationships. Then I, yeah, then I started from there. I was like, okay, what, what's the thing you'd care about the most, right? Is if, if something happens to someone you care about, uh, then who would you care about the most, right? A child, a partner, uh, and then slowly, right, I, I kept trying to build this narrative that would allow this to happen. And, and it was very organic, right? I didn't, I didn't sit down and it was like, okay, it's a couple and they're alone in their house and this guy shows up. It's, early on, it was actually a town. It was 24 hours. Um, and it was something like that would be, your family would be murdered or something. And you would have to, very, very movie style, right? You would have to do like crazy stuff, like um, trying to remember... Yeah, so you, you have like to make your boss have an accident and you oh. would arrive to work. So you get to work, you can access his computer, you'd get some info and then... But what I realized is the more expensive it is, the less you actually have control as a player because you don't know what the cause effect are of what you're doing. Right? Mm -hmm. Unless you really constrain the experience, right? Then you, I would have to do like a lot of adventure games do where you don't really know where it's going. Um, mm -hmm. But by constricting it to such a small space, and in a small amount of time, it becomes very clear the consequences of your actions. And, and there's no failure, right? You, you, if you fail or if you do something that doesn't feel like you advance, you still learn something that you can use in, in the next loop. I heard you say in, in multiple interviews and even back when we, we saw the game last year, learning you learn you learn that was the, the no fail state idea seemed to be a pillar of your development and you take that knowledge with you into the next loop is is that was there was there a reason you didn't want the player to feel like they failed so much as they learned for the next try um yeah i mean that's the thing i realized like so so this was a big epiphany for me through the development was early on, I was trying to build this like Groundhog Day a bit where you, you can do the right loop and you, and you win, right? And, 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 and everyone is happy. 
But I, I realized that is just my perspective on what is right or wrong. And mm-hmm. other people might have different perspectives. And, and once I realized this, even the concept of failing a loop is subjective. Like, uh, for example, let's say that the cop comes in and, and he attacks you. Um, there's the part that is, you, you, can, you can choose not to do anything. And, and sometimes not doing anything gives you more information than trying to do something. Mm-hmm. So the idea of letting yourself um, fail in this game might open avenues that uh, would not exist otherwise. Because you, So doing what people would expect in a game to be the wrong things in this experience, hopefully, will might be the good, the right things for you. So, and that's where I, I think the line gets blurred in terms of um, of as you move through the experience, because the game is not telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. You kind of okay. I think I should be doing this. I think this is the way to solve this, and it becomes your own interpretation of the accumulated knowledge through the loops. Does that require a lot of extra planning to consider what the player might do in one case versus another, or is there a fairly linear, a linear set of things that need to happen in order, but they can explore different avenues? How does the planning go about creating the directions for choices? Um, yeah, that was, that was one of the hardest, but I think that's what took the longest. It was just, um, the, I think the main thing was to, to limit the amount of, of things you can use. Um, like for example, like Super Mario, right? You can, you can jump, you can run, you can hit objects and then you, you have, and then you have the design of the level and you use these tools to create these experiences. Um, and early on, I didn't know what that was in this game. Uh, I was, because like I was very inspired by adventure games, but those games don't really have um, a ceiling, right? You can have a window that if you use an object, you can open the window, or you might be able to close the curtain if you use another object. But you don't have this rule set that's clearly defined, um, and that kept creating these issues where I didn't know how much room there is. But once I thought at it, like like a first-person shooter where you um, you don't think about dropping the gun and pick, grabbing a rock to throw at an enemy. You know the gun is glued to your hand and all you have is this bullet that will affect the environment. Mm-hmm. So it was the same. Once I I saw the game that way, right? You, you have this apartment, you have things you can interact with which are limited. Mm-hmm. And I clearly you clearly realize what they are. Like there's no pixel hunting. Mm-hmm. And then you have a set of objects and then you just combine them. So once I knew how to create this limited play space, I could work on on what I needed for the narrative and see how those things would um, could grow. For example, like early on, you had a wallet with the character, um, but if you combine the wallet with the wife, let's say, uh, yeah, you combine the objects. Like, for example, if you pick up a mug, you played it, right? So if you pick up a mug and mm-hmm. you drag it to the sink, you can fill it with water. Mm-hmm. If you give the mug with water to the wife, maybe she will drink it. Um, so removing any subjective elements and just having clear things allow me to have a, a limit of variations that were possible and and then just to work with those, which allow me to kind of work on the paths that were possible inside what I give you. Gotcha. I see. Now you took the, you told me earlier in this interview that you took this from a 24 hour loop uh, in a town 
and you scaled it back and you're down to 12 minutes and that for anyone who's unsure that's 12 minutes in real time before the game will loop provided you don't uh, pass away due to your actions or something doesn't happen in game why 12 minutes um i didn't know how much time it was going to be I actually like as i was working on the prototype my goal was just to reduce the amount of time as much as possible and see what's the minimum time you need to to go through the things that i think are worth your time um and it was around yeah it was around 11 minutes or or 10 minutes or three it, it kept vacillating and then um i submitted the game for pax east like 2015 or or 14 i think it was 2014 and i had to have a title and <laughs> and i was like hey how long is the loop yeah about 12 minutes so so it became 12 minutes um it was just the time that that worked like it's enough time because I also didn't want to make a game where you're all stressed out trying to rush things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of like one of the main things of this project is that um, right not only I'm removing the concept of of failing and losing, I I also want to make this very accessible for people. So it's it's more about the experience of figuring things out and not the stress of which is very boring, right? Trying to do ten things in a row and then failing thing number nine and having to reset and then keep doing them over and over until you you get them all correct um, like i want to get the the audience that i'm looking for is people that don't play games and and but give them this refined design i hope that is not all stressful and, and controller based um, so 12 minutes is a relaxed time to to go through the loop that's such a neat idea because when I do think of timers, I do think I'm stressed out. I am worried about not making it in time to wherever it is exactly. I'm going. Yeah, exactly. And that's not fun. That I mean, it's fun for a little bit, but uh, I think if you if you let go of that, there's another area of exploration that's that's more interesting. And I think you can think further. Like, yeah, it just allows you to try um, try more things that are not. I mean, and most of the puzzles in the game if you can call them puzzles are more are not there's a couple that require some timings of things but um yeah i think there's already enough stress in that game (laughs) that you don't need that right right now okay you mentioned 2014 15 packs uh and then the game resurfaces on at the 2019 xbox e3 event that's a big deal how did it feel to be part of that main stage oh it was great i i i Everything was a bit last minute, um, and I was very curious how people would react to the trailer. I thought it would, um, right? It's not explosion, uh, shooting, uh, fifty levels. It's I, I'm I was trying to make more of a movie-like experience, so I didn't know. I was actually pretty stressed out, to tell the truth. <laughs> I thought it would, I don't know, it wouldn't have the reaction it had. Um, but it was it was great. Like everyone that plays the game. They believe in it, which makes me really. That's what made it keep going, right? PAX at 2014 was exactly this. I was, we were wrapping up the witness, and I was asking myself, do I go to another project with Jonathan, or do I try to do this? And seeing people play at PAX, realize that, yeah, this is worth pursuing, and it's been, what's happening over and over. People keep, yeah, this is pretty cool. Don't stop it. Was the attention overwhelming once it debuted? What was the reception like on your end? Not the people that played it, but the people that saw it. Yeah, I think everyone was was very curious to what this 
what this is, right? What's especially there, are, there were other time loop games at the event, but right, they're more gamey kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, people were just I think they were just moved by 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 the concept because it feels so intimate. I think so personal, so um, more human than than most games usually um, try to be. Mm-hmm. Well, what have you learned since debuting and showcasing the game in 2019 up to now? What's changed about the game? Uh, since 2019 or, or 2014? Uh, well, let's go with 2019. In, in the last year, since people first kind of saw it on the big stage uh, up to now, what has changed and what has, has uh, um, been learned so that- for you? The biggest change is, I mean, the game is pretty locked at that stage. Uh, mm-hmm. Like in 2019, it was already kind of wrapped um, in terms of design and story. Um, the biggest change was um, was probably the, the, the voice acting. All the work for the voice acting to put it into the game and, and, and figuring it out. Like there was the process of converting these gigantic flowcharts into something that that actors can digest and be able to to act on was um was colossal like it was really um much harder than i thought like um but it also allowed us to actually refine the characters themselves uh, like we just we actually realized that the more we we restructure the way these gigantic flowcharts of conversations make, making them linear for an actor mm-hmm. allowed us to actually improve the characters because we saw how they like we could see a lot of conversations between them and we could see oh actually like this personality we thought the character would have like like an interesting one is the is is the um, is the wife like the because a, a players can do a lot of stupid like if you play do you remember like you can do a lot of irritating things to to, <laughs> to the wife and just like real life <laughs> <laughs> yeah but if she just reacts irritated to you you're gonna build this idea of her as as someone that is just not someone you want to care about. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, how can we fix these kind of issues by 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 tweaking their personality and being aware of this when we're recording the voice? And and these things actually kind of changed a bit who the characters are. Um, so that was the biggest thing. And then just like polishing, cleaning up the puzzle design, doing some QA, and seeing. Um, yeah, some things that just need to be, you know, smoother, so they flow better. Remove any any friction from the players. Interesting. That's really neat. And you play as the husband, of course. You become aware of events as the story progresses. Uh, the game's meant to be an adventure game, but there was a lot of mystery going on. And I got to be honest, I got scared a couple times when I was playing. Did you factor in horror to it? How did you balance that? I guess to keep yeah, it yeah. I mean, stressful. I think um, my main inspiration actually was um, so when when I realized this was going to be uh, in a house, right, in this small setting, um, I was trying. Did you see Funny Games, the movie from I'm Michael Lanek? Like you know, in 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 games, a lot in games and. and and most movies nowadays, right? You people just get punched and, and beat up and shoot. And there's this desensitized uh, version of reality in mm-hmm. in 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 movies and and games. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to bring that down, right? Like the idea of someone going into your house. It's pretty. Um, 
I mean, it's pretty aggressive, right? Like someone barging into your home while you're relaxed. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring that back, that tension of the situation. So, um, and I felt like yeah, if you check out funny games or, or yeah, like even The Shining, the ones I keep referencing, Memento, they have this, but yeah, like those movies where like Tashi, I don't know if you've seen that one, it's a French movie. Um, like if someone, like if someone shoots you in the shoulder in real life, if you got shot in the shoulder, you probably have pain in the shoulder for the rest of your life, right? You'd, you'd have to have surgery and maybe, right, go for therapy for a year, physical right. therapy. And But in games, you get shot, you inject a needle in your arm, and you're good to go. So I wanted to bring some of that weight to it. And I think this, it's not horror, but more this underlying tension to the moment helps you put more weight into your actions and what you do. And since everyone behaves kind of as realistically as possible, it makes you care more in the end. It's kind of mm -hmm. I see where you're I, I, I totally see that. But I can tell you, when I think back to my fondest memory of that demo, uh, we'd made choices, and I will not spoil anything for anybody in this case. We'd made choices. We'd gone through the, uh, a loop here and there. And then you just very politely asked, did you guys remember to lock the door? And our whole world went nuts uh, in this <laughs> moment. And I was like, no, whoa. And, and it was a really cool vibe because I was suddenly terrified after being so intensely curious. And I think as the player, the ability to hit us with those emotions is a, is a, a powerful one. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how communities respond to this and how they stream, uh, the type of feedback that you're getting. Is there a timeline for when we can see uh, a release date or is that still under wraps at the moment? Um, so we, I have a date in mind, right, that I would like mm -hmm. to hit. But uh, but me as a gamer, I know how frustrating it is to get a, a deadline. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, to get a date and then get that date missed. Um, mm -hmm. So until until I know that for sure we're, we're hitting a a date. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be uh, mentioning it. It's just going to create tension, I think, for everyone. Uh, Almost like a 12-minute as... timer looping down and pressuring <laughs> <Exactly>. the player. <laughs> like, I'm hoping, right, like, soon. Like, um, But was it soon? Like, I would hope this year. Right? I, I'm, I'm really aiming hard to, to have it done this year. Um, mm -hmm. Is there yeah. a relief of pressure in knowing that you're coming to, to Xbox and Windows in that they are they're working with backward and forward compatibility and smart delivery so you don't have to stress that uh kind of like there is never really an issue with with like the bigger issues are are optimization porting localization um i don't know as a developer the console you work for or the the, the platform you're releasing it for doesn't um it's still the same pain no matter what uh, right gotcha yeah, I, I mean, Windows-based stuff, it's true. It's easier than... Um, it's just kind of... Yeah, it's easier to deliver and test. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the challenges are all... Each one has its own um, its own little uh, bumps, I think. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, my, my kind of in my closing questions, it's Annapurna Interactive that's going to be publishing this, and they are known for rather eclectic games. Donut County, What Remains of Edith Finch, or any of that. Do they... Did, it feels to me like 12 Minutes is a very natural fit to work with them when they when how did how did you run into them i suppose to become your publisher um that's a long story um so very early on when i i was still wrapping up the witness and working on this we we met you know and we were it yeah it was a match made in heaven like working with them um 
because they have this movie-like uh, vision and resources that most publishers don't. Um, but at the time, I right, right, I, I had this coming from Rockstar and Ubisoft hating publishers, working with Jonathan on The Witness where he was like his own publisher. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, to do this. I wanted to be like, no, I, I just want funding and, and do everything by myself. Um, mm -hmm. So for a year and a half about, that's what I did. But then I realized that's actually pretty hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I, uh, the amount of time that is lost in in contracts and negotiations and planning and budgeting, it just takes away from the pleasure of developing. And so, um, and again, then the game was also getting, I think, like stronger and stronger. So it got to a point where um, what I wanted the game to arrive at, it needed a collaborator, and and we always had wanted to collaborate. So we we met again and. And we went ahead with it, um, and it was beautiful. Then it just made so much sense. It's best collaboration ever. It's, uh, it's like awesome. buddies working. Yeah, that's that's awesome, it. man. Well, I'm I'm so excited to find out when we're able to play when that time comes, and I'm excited to see kind of where this goes and how the community reacts. Uh, Luis Antonio, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure, Luke. Will you tell anyone and everyone where they can find more information about you or 12 Minutes? Where would you like to direct players to look? Uh, so there's 12minutesgame.com, the website, where you have development blog posts. They're, they're a bit sparse uh, because I, I don't want to... I only put stuff that I think it's worth sharing your time. But if you want, like, minute-to-minute -minute stuff, then it's on Twitter, at 12minutesgame. 